One man came to America, and he traveled around to try to find some preachers. And at the end of it, someone said, well, what do you think? He said, you have no preachers in this nation anymore. He said, well, what do you mean? And what he said was, he said, you have a lot of talkers and teachers, but where's your preachers? And he said, the evidence of true preaching is the word of God is like a sword. It cuts the heart. The word of God is like a hammer. It breaks the hardness of heart. The word of God is like a fire. It burns and melts the coldness of heart. If you preach and hearts weren't cut, broken, and melted, you weren't preaching. David Ford is an evangelist and founder of the Globe for Christ Ministry, and he's our guest today on Mid-South Viewpoint. David Ford, welcome to the show. Thank you, Byron. Good to be here. It hasn't been too long ago that you made your way through the fair city of Memphis, and we got together, right? We did. We did. Different chairs that day, but yes, sir. (laughs) I switched on you. You switched. Well, the thing about it is when I am sitting where you are, my back is to the controls over there. I can't see the timer. I can't see the recording software, so this way I'm able to look at it all. Good for you. Have I put you in a bad spot? No, I am right at home right here. (laughs) The only thing that we don't have happening today, there's no video cameras rolling. While we have this conversation, at the base of your microphone there, you have a picture of your dear mother who... I do. Laura Carolyn. I saw her over the weekend, Mother's Day weekend up in Missouri, and had a wonderful time. Mom loves the Lord, and she's very active. We talk about that she just doesn't let that easy chair get to her. You know, motion is the lotion for your joints. <laughs> That's exactly and, uh, right. and I often say, uh, but it's a principle of life, you have to circulate to percolate. That's exactly right. You have to keep moving. And even though I'm a young 59, I'm yeah. discovering there's joints and muscles in my body that never talked to me before, David. Never, never. <laughs> Although suddenly I'll get mouthy on us, yeah, right? That's right. That's right. You've got to figure out how to regulate this. And I think exercise is key. Yeah. And diet, too, for me. I've had to uh-huh. make some adjustments. You know, we're going to be moving quickly in the summer months here in the Mid-South. You know, mm-hmm. they're scorching. The humidity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Here in the South, especially. Being from Arizona, it's a dry heat. But, but, but people say that as if, oh, it's not really hot. Man, when it's 123 degrees out there, <laughs> I don't hot. care. It is hot. It's hot. Zion National Park. Have you been there? I've not been there, no. you heard of it, of course. I've heard of it, I believe, yeah. You know, it's one of God's great creations, mm. the wonders, you know, of his mm-hmm. majesty and his marvelous touch and his design. I've been able to go to the Grand Canyon, you right, know, and right. I traveled in the mid-90s as we were missionaries out in the Pacific toward Guam, and I've seen the islands and okay. the outer islands and sure. uh, traveled to Europe, had the chance a couple of years ago to go to Israel. You know, you get to see the creation of yeah. God's design yeah, you do. in the earth and the world. It's, it's marvelous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Someone asked me this week, what do you do just for, like, spare time? What do you enjoy doing? <laughs> I said, being at home, because <laughs> when you travel all the time, yes, you know, it, I really don't want to go much anywhere as far as like a vacation. I just want to stay home if, if I have that kind of time. Yeah. Well, when you're in those down times, and I know they're far and few between, I'm sure, but right, preaching, right. writing, recording, and singing are all mm-hmm. part of the work you do in the ministry right. through Globe for Christ. And mm-hmm. I don't think I realized that you were a singer. I probably didn't say anything about it. I don't think, because I know you're a preacher. <laughs> I am. Yeah. Right. I think it's unusual when you find a preacher yeah. who is also a singer. Yeah. It really is. And, and, and most of the meetings I'm involved in, now not the area-wide crusades, and those I just preach. 
and I always bring someone else in to do all the worship and lead with all of the music. But on my own, in my own meetings, I usually do most all the worship and the preaching, and I simply ask the pastor, once you give me the service, all I ask is that I have it from then to the end. I don't want any interruptions along the way once I have the service. Typically, when you're in a service, do you start with song and then move into preaching? Will you sing throughout? Will you close with a song? Or how do you typically? Well, I don't even have a list of the songs I'm going to. I don't have an order of service. Usually Sunday mornings when I'm in a church, I ask that their praise team or their whatever they do, that they come and take about 20 minutes of the service. And then, and then it's usually Sunday mornings, I only do a couple things and then I preach. Sunday night, I have pretty much the whole service typically. But even on a Sunday morning, I was in a church, and they did their praise and worship, and I was waiting, and they turned it over to me, and I began one song, and the Spirit of God sat down on that church in Georgia, and the Lord let in my heart just quote John 3.16 and draw the net, I'm already here. I quoted John 3.16, never preached the message. I opened up the altars, and they began flooding over the altars, climbing over the pews to get to the front. There was such a con- the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in the meetings, and so I find that in leading worship, the, the heart of it is just being the lead worshiper. Myself go to the Holy of Holies, yes, and then God will bring them along. And David, how do you find a balance here? Because there's great preachers who have dynamic personalities, mm-hmm. and, and they can persuade people with just the way they speak, mm-hmm. the power and the command of their presence. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's not the gospel Holy Spirit movement that we're talking about here. No, it's not. And I, I think one thing that the Lord has put on my heart in recent years, in, in having been in meetings where God has come in revival, where the one went four months in one church, and uh, it changes you. You know, when you've been in the fire of yeah, revival, yeah. you smell like smoke the rest of your life. <laughs> and the thing about it, when you're in it, it's a very, very humbling thing. Yes. And it changes you. Yeah. And you live the rest of your life. Wanted to see God do it again somewhere else. But I remember when God began to lay on my heart a few years ago that we're not seeing the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in our churches. And God began to burden my heart to pray for the judgment day conviction to fall on audiences. In Baptistic churches, I began to see while I'm preaching, somebody would just shriek out in agony of soul. And I wouldn't preach long after that. One time a pastor got saved that night. He's the one that cried out in anguish because he was lost. And he came forward that night, buried his head in my chest, and said, i got to get this right. i got to get saved. He was pastoring a local church, not very far away. And that man got saved. That was a Tuesday night. He went back Wednesday night to their church. They came back Thursday night. I asked his wife privately. I said, well, and she said, daylight and dark. Because <laughs> she had come to me earlier in the week, and she said, pray for my husband. You know, she was being confidential. And she said, it's like when he gets up, it's just words. It's just empty words when he preaches. So God brought deep conviction to him, and so I have found that if you just stay dead to self yes, and trust the Holy Spirit implicitly and just do whatever he prompts you to do, he knows how to take care of his own service. And so and when I was in that revival, you know, I didn't preach half the time, and I wasn't the worship leader in that meeting that went four months. I was just in the front row. But we were in such one accord with the worship team. They had a microphone set up to the side. They said, that's your microphone. Take over the service anytime you want. And there'd be times I'd be sitting there by and the Holy Spirit would lay out my heart, take it over, now I'm here. Just stand up and turn around and draw the net. I'd look up at the sister at the keyboard. She'd look at me at the exact same time she knew it. I'd stand up and walk over and turn around at the microphone, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God would just sit down on that audience. Wow. 
And they began weeping all over the audience. And I said, God's already here. You need Jesus. You already heard the gospel. You step out and come to him right now. And they start flooding down the aisle. That's beautiful, David. Well, I remember when this radio station 35 years ago first came to Memphis, our first general manager was trying to get to meet area pastors. And mm-hmm. we would invite them on for you know, a local weekly talk show. One area pastor, I'm not going to name any church or names, but this one mm-hmm. pastor had a weekly businessman luncheon that he would invite people to on Thursdays. So the manager is in the conversation in the interview and ask him, so tell me, pastor, what do you do teaching from God's Word at this men's gathering for the business luncheon that you do? Oh, oh no, I don't want to offend anybody. Typically, Mm -hmm. I'll take a selection from the Reader's Digest. Mm -hmm. I want people to feel comfortable Mm -hmm. at this particular event. Mm -hmm. Wow, the danger, the Mm -hmm. danger of that type of uh, presentation, David. Mm -hmm. There's no power in it. I remember years ago asking the Lord, I said, Lord, as an evangelist, what what can I do to be different? I don't want to be just typical, same old, same old. And God clearly laid in my heart, you memorize scripture and quote my word, and you'll be unique in today's generation. Oh, my goodness. And so I made that wow. a, a pointed effort to focus on that. And even now, there's some times when the Holy Spirit laid in my heart, just quote scripture, and I'll go on for however how long, just quoting the word. I watched the word of God bring that sword-like conviction. You know, preaching, one man came to America, and he traveled around to try to find some preachers. And at the end of it, someone said, well, what do you think? He said, you have no preachers in this nation anymore. He said, well, what do you mean? And what he said was, he said, you have a lot of talkers and teachers, but where's your preachers? And he said, the evidence of true preaching is the Word of God is like a sword. It cuts the heart. The Word of God is like a hammer. It breaks the hardness of heart. The Word of God is like a fire. It burns and melts the coldness of heart. If you preach and hearts weren't cut, broken, and melted, you weren't preaching. Wow. What a word we need to hear. Well, I'm going to kind of change our conversation course right now. Okay. And I want to bring up the topic of Christian single. Hmm. What are some misconceptions about being single and serving ministry? Well, that varies depending on how old you are as a single. <laughs> <laughs> I was just sharing while I go at the table over at the bagel place. I said, you know, when I was younger, these grandmothers would come up to me with a phone number on a piece of paper, and it'd be for their granddaughters. Now they come up to me and give me a phone number, but it's their phone number. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, that's an American. <laughs> so some things kind of change a little bit, but... You know, I'm 61 now, and I've been single all my life, never married. And when you're younger, people kind of expect, well, you know, you're going to find someone along the way and and do all of that. And as you get older, they kind of have lost hope that you'll ever get married anyway. But my heart really is, there was a point in my life, when I was 22, I thought, I'll be married by 28. There's no way I'll still be single. Well, that kind of went and came and went. But in the early years of ministry in my 20s, God really burdened my heart to pray for like Billy Graham a lot. And I lost a girlfriend over it because of the travail of prayer. I hit my knees at the side of wherever I was when he would come on TV. And I just began weeping. My body would begin sweating, and there'd be a burden, and the agony of prayer would be like my heart was almost coming out of my chest. Well, she was in the room when that happened one time in prayer. Groanings, which cannot be other, you know, and it scared her. We talked years later. I said, you wouldn't run today, but that's just where you were at that time. I think one of the blessings of being single for about the last 13 years, except this last year, God's changed things. The Lord had me up almost every night till about 4 or 5 in the morning, every single night, almost every single night, in prayer. I lived out in the country at that time. I was able to be alone with God and to hear from Him and to open my Bible, be on my knees. 
and I would watch the news. I remember one time, Byron, when the Lord laid in my heart, turned the volume up on the news on TV. I thought, okay, and so I did. He said, now go to prayer. I said, okay. I went to prayer. I said, Lord, what are you teaching me? And he laid it clearly on my, in my heart. You know what I mean. I'm teaching you that regardless of all the noise around you, I'm teaching you how by your spirit to press into me and not be distracted by anything around you. Now, Evan Roberts knew that experience in the Welsh Revival. He knew how to shut everything out and just his spirit press into the heart of God. In fact, when he came under great criticism through the mail, he saw that was a tool of the enemy. He told his workers, quit opening the mail. Well, the attack ceased. The devil will use an attack as long as it works. When it quits working, often he'll quit using it. So it's being aware of that. But in traveling with Stephen Olford back in the day, there'd be times I'd go to the basement of a church somewhere while he was upstairs preaching and just cry out to God for him. I remember being at a, a big singles conference in New Mexico, and there was a, a friend of mine who was the speaker, and the first night he spoke, like three people out of 2,000 came to the altar. The next night I walk in, I'm sitting there in the middle, and they were doing praise and worship, and the Lord lays my heart, leave now and go to a back room and pray. I said, but Lord, I don't want to distract everybody. He said, no, go now. And so I finally got up and walked out during worship. And when I walked into a room, Byron, as soon as I walked through the threshold of a room, the light was off. I fell on my knees in the middle of that room, and there was such an agony of prayer for that service that night. And God just had me stay there in prayer, crying out to God. And all of a sudden, the burden lifted, and then God had answered I went back in the auditorium, went back to my seat, and he preached that night, gave the invitation. Over 300 people responded at the altar call that night. So when you're single, you have the time to do whatever God tells you to do. You have time to pray. I like D.M. Panton's definition of prayer. He said, prayer is God the Spirit talking to God the Father in the name of God the Son, and the believer's heart is his prayer closet. When God laid in my heart years ago, and he opened up the doors to go preach at Liberty University several times, Every time in convo preaching there, they would flood to the altar floor all but once. They'd flood to the altar floor while I'm preaching. I had to quit preaching and have the praise team come back to the platform. You can't explain it. 8,500 students, you begin to preach, and they begin coming. No invitation given. They just start coming to the, the floor, crying out to God. You're describing hearing God's voice. In times of loud distractions around you like mm-hmm. today we're living in a time when there's a lot of noise right. you know from culture from the media uh, from just doing life we hear all these sounds that try to distract us but you talk about in the middle of all of these distractions hearing the clear voice of god mm-hmm. How does David Ford hear from the Holy Spirit? Are there steps? Is there a process? How do you verify that it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you? One of the ways to grow in that area, and we're all, and I'm still growing and learning, but it's having that daily quiet time in the Word to where when you, when you become accustomed to when you're reading the passage, you're either on your knee, it doesn't matter your posture really, but it may be God has you on your knees or at the side of your bed or sitting on your couch or at a kitchen table with a cup of coffee. But in humbling your soul before the Lord, you come saying, Lord, I humble, I bend my, I bend my soul to you. And I ask you to speak to me from your word. And you begin reading. And Byron, you know how it is. All of a sudden, that verse of Scripture, it just pops and God just speaks to your heart. If you try to read further, it kind of dies on you. You know that's what God's saying to you. So here's the principle. When you learn the voice of God at 7 o'clock, you'll know the voice of God at 11 o'clock. And if you develop the discipline of hearing from God through the scriptures of God, you get to the point, like the one man said years ago, uh, Reese Howells, someone said, how is it you know the voice of God so well? 
He said, do you know your mother's voice? They said, well, yes. He said, I know the voice of God like you know your mother's voice. If you're used to hearing from God when your Bible is open, then you know how to hear from him throughout the day. And so it's never contradictory to Scripture. But he said, my sheep hear my voice. All seven churches, he said, if you hear my voice. And so even there's a book out about hearing the Spirit in the text. Dr. Ofer was really huge on that, hearing the voice of God in the text of Scripture, God speaking to your heart. And then what happens in the test tube of prayer, you almost find no silent prayer in Scripture. It's almost all verbal, all throughout Scripture. So if you go to the place of prayer and it's dead and cold and empty, well, then just stop. The words, the kindling wood for prayer, open your Bible and read and let it do something in your soul. Then go back to prayer. And what happens is as God empowers you to pray, you know his presence and power in prayer. So then all of a sudden, if I try to pray a direction that isn't where the Holy Spirit's leading me, he gets real lonely on that topic. (laughs) And you sense the hand of God kind of come off of you in prayer because that's not the direction he wants you to pray. And I discovered if I just go where God's called, if I stay dead to self, if I just stay in the flow of the Spirit, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes in me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spoke he of the Holy Spirit. And it says, shall flow. So if he's flowing, that's going to make a difference in my life. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's having a brokenness where your outermost man is broken so that the Spirit can flow from the Spirit through your soul, mind, will, and emotion out of your body. The Spirit's for communion, the soul's for contemplation, the body's for communication. And so living in that flow and getting used to that in your prayer life, then you be discerned when you're going in the wrong direction in prayer. And, you stop, and all you do is, I'm sorry, Lord, and you come back to where he wants you to pray. I have found over the years that often when I forget about what I want to pray about or my need, if I just pray what God puts on my heart to pray, right toward the end, he may turn it right back and say, now pray for this. But it's not seeing God as just way off out there somewhere. It's, Lord, I pray, manifest your spirit in me right now in the spirit of prayer. And so the agony of prayer is his agony. And, you know, some of my most special times of communion with God is those overnight hours you were saying, be sleeping and just wake up at 2 o'clock. Early in my life, it used to frustrate me because, oh, i got to get back to sleep. I've got to be at work. But now there's some of the most refreshing times of fellowship with the Lord. And there's times in my heart people come to mind that I haven't thought about in years. Why do I think about that person? Yeah. And it's the Holy Spirit I know mm-hmm. that's telling me, pray for that person. So, you so came, I just do it. You came to a point, you had to die to self. You had to die to your lordship over your time and sleep and surrender to his lordship. You know, you were talking about the time you read in Scripture. I, I remember there are so many times that I'll be reading, and I get so sleepy. I want to just close the Bible and, exactly. and, and go to sleep. Yeah. And one time I heard Charles Stanley say that he did the exact same thing. Yeah. But he said, you know, he learned that through that, God used that to refresh his spirit because he mm-hmm. sealed mm-hmm. the words that he was reading mm-hmm. were in his spirit, and mm-hmm. he slept with that. He would wake up and be thinking about the things of God and, yes, and being led by the Spirit of God to do the things of God. Do you have an accountability partner, David, that – Make sure that you don't allow the work of the ministry burn you out. You can get so involved with the ministry that you can burn out. Well, you really can. I think I think the remind I do have accountability people in my life that I've given permission to ask me anything they want, anytime they want, on any topic that they want. Right. Now they don't always ask me sure. those things, but I also the main accountability partner I have is the Holy Spirit. So I have found that if it grieves him, it grieves me. So in that sense of accountability I had, a, I had a man, he, he taught seminary in Memphis. He's home with the Lord now. He used to come to the meetings, Byron, and he said, I've never seen like this in my life. You just start, and God sits down in that auditorium. He said, I've not seen this in 30 years of teaching at the seminary. 
And he looked at me one day and he said, son, don't you ever lose that. He said, God's hand is on you. Don't you ever do anything to lose that. And I've seen men that have fallen. They made shipwreck before they got to the final harbor. Bill Stafford used to say, Lord, keep me so that I don't shipwreck before I reach the final harbor. And the older I get, the more I pray that. I like what Chuck, pastor in California, what he said, Pastor Chuck, what he said. Young guys used to ask him, Pastor Chuck, how can we pray for you? He said, I used to give all these various things, and I finally boiled down to one thing. I simply say, pray that God always keeps me usable. I thought, what a wonderful prayer. I'm, I'm taking that. Yeah. You know, one of the prayers I pray, God, keep me faithful to the last breath. Yeah, yeah. I just want to be faithful to the last breath. Mm-hmm. Uh, people often say, David, you've got to have faith. Have faith in yourself. You need more faith. Why are these cute sayings just full of baloney? What does real faith look like, and how should it function in our lives? Yeah, I like Mark eleven twenty two. It says, "Have faith in God." Well, Mueller and Hudson Taylor, Hudson Taylor in his Spiritual Secrets, he says, and he reveals that it's true. You can take that and retranslate that. It's echo to have or to hold, holding the faith of God. I love Galatians two twenty. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, not in the Son of God. The Greek is of the Son of God, not in the Son of God. Many have mistranslated that entirely. There's a vast difference between faith in the Son of God and faith of the Son of God. And the reason why that's important is because it's the faith of Jesus in me, the faith in the Father to fulfill in and to and for me all the promises and blessings of the new covenant that I have in Christ. So I abide in him, holding the faith of God. I find the more I look at faith, the less I have it. So it's really not dependent upon us. It's dependent no. upon him. It's the yeah. faith of him in us. Exactly. Sometimes there's this faith in faith. Right. It's unproductive. Yes. And yet we've all done it. I've done it many times. And yet, how does faith grow? Living in the scriptures, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word, looking to the Savior, looking in the Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, and leaning on the Holy Spirit. As we look, faith grows and glows. So, And the basis of faith is God's word. So that's why I constantly encourage people to get back to the word. Did God give you a word on this? Did God give you a promise? Do you know the Word of God where God can speak to you and give you a promise? And then that's all you stand on. And sometimes, Byron, you get to where that's all you have to stand on is a word God gave you. But you know it was from God because you know him. What's the biggest obstacle that you see pastors have to overcome before they can experience a fruitful ministry? Being honest. Being honest about their true condition. Forget your pride. The sad thing is, as I travel, and I believe in education big time, But I'm almost concerned the more education a pastor has, the less of a chance that he'll probably see revival. Because he's so strong in his training, he doesn't know what brokenness is until he goes through a devastation in his life of brokenness. But you've got to be humble-minded. And just be honest with God. I I, I was on a radio in Mobile, Alabama, and he said, you have all these pastors all across the coast down here. What would you say? I would say be honest with God. If you're powerless, tell God he knows it anyway. And don't fake it till you make it. Die to self, except or granted if we fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. That's where the power flows is through death. That's where resurrection happens. And my pride wants to get in the way, my mental pride. I know how to do it. I've been there before, or I've read the books, and I've got this knowledge over here. And this has to be totally doctrinally right on cue. God can handle all that. What I need to be honest about is the dearth of my own soul. And if I'm not seeing souls saved, if I'm not seeing a move of God, 
if the Spirit of God is not moving in my church and people aren't getting saved all the time, then I need to get on my face and get right with God and plant my forehead in the carpet until God changes me. Duncan Campbell of the Lewis Awakening, his daughter came to him in his study one day. He was 52 years old, and she got on his knees, only a daughter can, and she said, Daddy, Daddy, you know as Duncan Campbell of the Argyle Revival, but Daddy, why does God not use you in revival anymore? And she said, Daddy, whatever it takes, go through with God. And he left him in his study, and he got on his face. He wept his way back to Calvary. It's easy, especially the older we get, Byron, to sit on the laurels of what God did in the past somewhere. I have seen and I've known by experience, if you begin and all you talk about in preaching is, I remember the time when, I remember the time when, I remember the time when, you probably will not see move of God now. Not that that's not important, but you've begun to live and expect and just talk of the past instead of what God is doing now and going to do in your midst. He's a present tense God. He's an I am. And to young people, Galatians says, he that ministers the spirit unto you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So I call it the burning bush principle of revival. When I'm in a service and maybe someone's praying or I'm leading worship and I look out here and I see a woman just break down or a man over here break down and begin weeping, I'll ask some ladies to kind of gather around this dear lady over here, just pray over her and pray with her. And before you know it, because you've looked for the burning bush of the moving of the Spirit of God in a service, and you take a step toward it, whatever it is, that's when the Holy Spirit tells you exactly what to do next in the service. And you simply do what he says to do. And all of a sudden, it's a domino effect. Before you know it, the whole church is in the altar, weeping and broken before God, because you obeyed God and did exactly what the Spirit of God told you to do in that service. David Ford, God bless you, my dear brother. Time is it already over. It's already wow. over with. Can you believe it? <laughs> I never touched my notes. How about that? <laughs> and I have only touched a quarter of my notes. Love to have you come back. I'd be honored to. If folks want to know more about David Ford and Globe for Christ ministry, what can they do? Well, they can go to globeforchrist.com. And uh, if they want to email me directly, I don't normally do it, but they can email me straight to my personal at phoenixford at mac.com, P-H-O-E-N-I-X-F-O-R-D at mac, M-A-C dot com. And I'm on Facebook as well. And, of course, there's room for more prayer support, room for more financial support so the ministry can continue too. Sure, sure. Last year was rough on a lot of itinerant ministries, and so this year I'm back out again. And, yeah, people say, how do we get an area-wide crusade in our area? I said, usually it begins in the heart of one person. And they call or they text or whatever, or they contact and they say, how can we have this in our area? And that's usually how God does it. And then it just grows and grows and grows. Before you know it, there's a big 50 churches on board. It's an area-wide crusade. Well, David, thanks again. Thank you, Brian. (laughs) It's a joy to be here. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.